This episode is sponsored by Winzora. Looking for a fast-acting psoriasis treatment for your patients? Winzora offers visible improvement as early as week one with a unique Cal BDP cream formulation and once-daily dosing. See how Winzora may help your patients at winzora.com. You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another what I think is going to be a tremendous episode of Derms and Conditions. And I have with me today someone that I've known for years. I'm happy to say that that we're very good friends outside of anything related to dermatology because I've known him from way back when he was a resident and I was early on with the American Osteopathic College of Dermatology and a lot of the work that we did there. But he has certainly worked his way into a lot of recognition in dermatology. He's a great guy, great dermatologist, and a great educator and researcher. That's Dr. Brad Glick, who is Residency Program Director at Larkin Palm Springs, the program in Miami. Um, he spends a lot of time in the trenches seeing patients, about half of his time overseeing the residents, the rest of the time seeing patients himself in private dermatology practice clinics, also running clinical trials, and a heck of a lot of dermatology education. He's focused on a lot of different areas, but a, a lot of involvement in psoriasis. In fact, he's on the medical board of the National Psoriasis Foundation, and he's active in everything he does. He doesn't just have it on his resume. So, Brad, it's great to see you today, and thanks for being here. Well, Jim, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you, and I, I must tell you that it's always a privilege uh, to be able to have the opportunity to do something educationally with you, and I appreciate all the years of engagement. Yep, it's been great, and thanks for the kind words. In fact, I know that you are up in Vancouver, Canada, being active in the American Academy of Dermatology and also are on the board of the American Academy of Dermatology, so we appreciate those efforts. So, Brad, as you know, there's been a lot of uh, advance in systemic therapies in dermatology. We certainly have had psoriasis, now atopic dermatitis, now we're getting into alopecia areata and other areas, hydratinitis suppurativa, not only biologic agents, but even other oral, oral therapies, big advances. But we never want to forget our heartfelt dedication, if you will. We're dermatologists. Topical therapy is integral to what we do. So knowing you knowing this, and we'll get, get into some specifics of some of the therapies, but especially what you're seeing, not only from your own clinical practice and overseeing residents, but also what you've gleaned from educating, talking to colleagues uh, that you interact with, doing clinical research. What are some things you've learned maybe in the last year to few years from that side of it on topical therapy and dermatology? Well, 70 to 80% of what we're taking care of in the trenches every day requires topical therapy. So we, we, we need our topical therapies. There's no question about it. I think what's great is some of the systemic therapies have topical versions. We can use those mechanisms of action and they're, they're quite effective in, in treating the skin. 
And so some of these unique technologies, Janus kinase inhibitors, we have our hydrocarbon receptor agonists, uh, we have fixed combination therapies with retinoids and topical steroids, and, and of course, calcipotriene and beta-methasone, another fixed combination therapy. These are unique products that are important for treating most of our patients with inflammatory skin conditions. And so uh, just as you said, we have to have these topical therapies in our toolbox, despite these incredible agents that are targeted systemic therapies, and they have the host of side effects. Right. So the, the way I think about it, even the best of what we have, which systemic therapies for the disease states we're managing, like psoriasis, atopic dermatitis, alopecia areata, things that are coming along, hydratinitis suppurativa, we don't get all the patients 100% clear and sustain that. We, we are much better at getting people dramatically better, where they're very excited about it and happy because they've never been at that point in the management of the disease, or if they've been, they've dealt with side effects or therapies that they couldn't be on very long. So even when these patients are markedly improved, they still have their chronic disease and they have areas that break through where we need the topical therapy. So can you give me some examples of where you've seen these therapies help you when you're treating patients. I know you use a lot of biologics and systemic therapies of how you integrate it. Do you integrate it from the beginning? Do you wait and see and add things on later or maybe do both? You know, I really think it's both. Uh, from the podium, we'll hear a lot of monotherapy data. And that always doesn't play out in the trenches where we're practicing. Uh, because Mary comes in, she has pretty widespread disease. And as you said, these therapies we have, the biologics, even some of the systemics, the Janus kinase inhibitors, they clear the skin remarkably, but not completely. Even the best of our biologic therapies right now clear the skin 100%, 60% of the time. What happens to the 40% of patients that have residual plaques? We have to use topical therapies and use combination therapies to successfully get these patients to a higher level of clearance in those remaining individuals that have not cleared their skin. So topical therapies are obligatory despite the fact that we have tremendous systemic therapies in our toolbox, and there's many of them. And it's not that the adjunct of going backwards to systemic, I'm sorry, topical corticosteroids. But these fixed combination therapies, the new generation non-steroidal therapies that we have with Janus kinase inhibitors topically, I mentioned the hydrocarbon receptor agonist. Uh, we have a topical PD-4 inhibitor that will come to market. We have one already for atopic dermatitis. We have to use these agents adjunctively because we can't get these patients completely clear all the time. Although again, uh, as you have said, we have tremendous agents in the toolbox, but we have to use them together. Yeah, I, I, I have to give a call out to the, the guy who trained me, the dermatologist who trained me, Dave Horowitz, who was a phenomenal clinical dermatologist. And he had always told me, he said, Jim, always give patients something to wash with, something to apply, moisturizer. Every one of these patients, we're dermatologists. It, either consciously or subconsciously, they're expecting this. Give them something topical to use. Because as dermatologists, if we're not, even some of the patients will say, if you just give them a systemic, aren't you going to give me something to apply? I hear that every once in a while because that's the expectation. And I think it's an important expectation. So your, your words are well said. So Brad, you've been a leader in psoriasis and I'd like to talk to you 
specifically about a particular formulation that we now have that may not seem so exciting or so sexy when you tell people, hey, we're talking about a formulation of beta-methazone dipropionate with calcipatriene. But we have the first time, and it also sounds like it could be smoke and mirrors, but it turns out to be important to patients because of how the product feels or where it can be used or even being accessible for the scalp because it's oil and water. And I'm talking about the beta-methazone dipropionate calcipatriene cream. And for the first time, for several different reasons, compatibility and formulation barrier reasons, it's been put in a cream formulation. So can you tell me you know, how you've come about with becoming familiar with that particular formulation that we're talking about. I'll say the brand name once, it's Winsora Cream. Uh, and what your experience has been in terms of from the research side of it or from understanding the formulation. Long question. I tend to be long-winded. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I'm seeing somebody for that, <laughs> seeing a psychologist. Just shut up, Jim. But look, can you can you address that? Well, long-winded is sometimes my MO, so that's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, this is a unique technology. Um, the pad technology is, as I recall, is kind of really a unique uh, formulation for this particular product. It's uh, an oil and water. It's it's kind of like a droplet, multi-layer. It, it's got a surrounding water-based type structure to to protect those two really important ingredients, which, by the way, in the original studies uh, for uh, calcipotrine and beta-methasone, you know, you can't put them together. Uh, one formulation was in an anhydrous vehicle. This one's unique because it has this robust structure uh, around oil droplets. And basically what it does is it takes those two products and allows them to work in collaboration independently. They don't get bothered. The, the water, um, it, it basically allows it around it to not be hydrolyzed. And so it's not going to be as irritating. And we've never had it in the cream. And so for me, when I look at the science behind it, when I look at this uh, polyapheron dispersion technology, I find it unique. And having tried it myself, we put it on the patient's skin in the office, it's a lot easier to use. And so that's really been my assessment of the pad technology. And, and I, I think as we look at the trial data, it's really successful. It works better. Uh, in the clinical trials, we saw it up against the uh, topical suspension, which is the second iteration of the beta-methasone calcipotriene combination. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about it is, you know, calcipatrine doesn't like an acid pH. It gets broken down. That's why if you apply salicylic acid right with it, it gets degraded. Beta-methasone dipropionate likes an alkaline pH. So they're partitioned in separate droplets, if you will, micelles. But then they're put into that water-based cream formulation, which is so much easier to apply. And, and, and the patient you know, outcome data in terms of how the patients feel about it is excellent, like you say, from the clinical trials. So, Brad, I want to take a break right now for a moment to get a word in from our sponsor. And hang on, um, I got some long-winded questions for you. Let the power of Windsor speak for itself, with visible improvement as early as week one that continues through week eight. Find out what else Windsor has to offer your psoriasis patients at Windsor.com. So, Brad, we've had other formulations, uh, successful ones, ones that we saw help patients in practice, an ointment base of beta-methasone dipropionate 
calcipatrine. Obviously, anhydrous, greasy, but certainly had its applications. And then we've had the suspension, as you mentioned, which was really could be used anywhere. It was studied anywhere on the skin where you could apply it, right? Uh, but was really trying to target the scalp, but still was had an oil base to it it was tended to be greasy and sticky and and hard to wash out of the scalp so the cream formulation obviously studied on most they predominantly these are studied on trunk and extremities also has had some data and applicability to the scalp which is still on label it's not an off label you could apply it anywhere on the skin where there's psoriasis can, so can you focus in on what some of the data meant to you from the studies well, first of all, um, successful responses of these uh, individuals uh, compared to obviously both vehicle and then uh, also the topical suspension. But you brought up the scalp and with this vehicle, you can use it in the scalp, as you said, and actually there's some data in the scalp as well, too. And I believe there's a recent poster that has been on the podium, if you will, or the number of the different meetings are really looking at successful PGA responses in the scalp. And, you know, for me, that's important because to use two different vehicles or have to use two different product uh, is, is not particularly helpful uh, for, our, for our patients. I, I agree with you. It's a, it's an all-terrain product, and and if they have psoriasis on the skin, you know, obviously they they can use it. And we have certain cautions with utilizing high potency corticosteroids. We still respect those, obviously, and there are certain cautions with calcipatrine. But when I look in package inserts of any calcipatrine, topical calcipatrine, or a topical vitamin D analog product, you see a lot of these class labeling warnings like hypercalcemia, hypercalceria, but but unless you're basically swimming in the vat of in the factory where that's being made uh, and getting large areas, large body surface areas of exposure for a prolonged period of time, those risks are are pretty darn low. Wouldn't you agree with that? I agree completely. And you you have concerns uh, when you have a corticosteroid on board. You know, this type of fixed combination therapy is a balancer. You know, these two ingredients will balance each other out. And so it still has that steroid component. But in my experience, and in using this product when it originally came to market in the, uh, the ointment vehicle, and using it in many patients over many years, really haven't seen that. We haven't seen visible or even laboratory uh, signs, if we were checking labs for other reasons, we haven't seen evidence, at least in the clinical settings of this uh, hypercalciuria or hypercalcemia uh, in these patients. And so I think the side effect profile has really been low and confirmatory in all the trials for this fixed combination drug. Yeah, and they're not these are th these things with corticosteroids. Uh, obviously, we're applying them in certain locations, being being cautious in sensitive skin areas or facial areas or periocular. Or whatever. We understand those cautions. So as as dermatologists, these are not necessarily contraindications. So if we're going to use a product such as this in one of those areas, we might do it for a short time to achieve a certain goal in some of those more sensitive areas. But as dermatologists, we're always going to use our clinical judgment and understand the cautions because they're not new. They're things that we've dealt with over a long period of time. So what about some of your individual experiences with patients that you've observed in clinical practice? Do you have any that you would like to share? 
Uh, yeah. I, I, first of all, I love fixed combination therapies. I mean, to me, you know, it is the best marriage between two products that we've used successfully over the years. But, you know, when you use calcipotriene um, separately, it is pretty irritating and not necessarily that effective. Uh, and, and of course, beta-methasone dipropionate is, is highly effective. But together, you know, th they're really a perfect marriage, particularly in this vehicle. In terms of a particular patient, for me, where I've actually been utilizing the new product uh, is not only on plaques in the extremities and the trunk, but I've been using it a lot along the hairline in the retroauricular region in a number of my patients. And that's really frustrating for uh, our patients. And one of the things we didn't really talk about is uh, in the recent trials uh, for the new uh, pad technology, beta-methasone dipropionate calcipotriene product, is the improvement of itch. And, you know, we've learned over this last eight or 10 years that, that there's body itch with psoriasis, but clearly the scalp is horrendous, Jim, for a lot of these patients. And so the improvement of the itch in a very short period of time, the improvement clinically as well in the scalp from what we know from some of the recent scalp data is early in the first week is impressive. And I've seen this in a number uh, of my patients uh, with this particular product uh, specifically. Okay. Have you utilized this formulation in patients that may be on a biologic agent or they've, they're on phototherapy and they have persistent lesions on the legs or common or even some of the other systemic therapies? And now, you know, you, you, maybe they've tried something else, but the compliance has not been that great because they say, you know, that's kind of sticky or whatever, where you use this to help those persistent areas that are not responding to the systemic therapies. Any anecdotes there? Well, first, that, that's another one of those long-winded questions, and that's got a lot of different parts to the, the questions. But yeah, there are, there are tons of anecdotes because, again, if we circle back to the systemic therapies, and particularly the biologics, I use a lot of biologic therapies. They're amazing. They're wonderful, but they don't clear all the plaques. You know, I, I recall uh, one of my patients recently who had about maybe 15% BSA, and the area that I could not clear were the shins. Well, why couldn't I clear the shins? I couldn't clear the shins because the guy is a tile installer. He's on his knees all the time. He's kebnerizing his knees all the time. The biologic couldn't get it all done. Scalp got a lot better. The elbows got a little bit better. But the anterior tibial regions didn't get better. I used this fixed combination product. It took about a month and the plaques almost completely melted away. And of course, they have to continue on therapy. And so I think that's a perfect example where we have a high-level systemic therapy, but what may be missing is the use of the topical therapy. And, and listen, the patients get spoiled by these systemic therapies. They're amazing. We have to encourage them in order to get to a greater degree of clearance to use topical therapies adjunctively. Right. I, I think that's, uh, that, you know, and the, and the scalp being itchy, they're keeping their scalp when they scratch right you know so you're always fighting not only the inherent disease but the fact that the, that the itching exacerbates and and one of the interesting things is they actually included evaluation of itch over the first week in their their phase three trial uh, with this uh, cream formulation and have the data that actually in the package insert in the product labeling which you know fortunately there's more attention paid to uh Paritis or itching in atopic dermatitis. When I was a resident, we were taught that 
psoriasis didn't itch very much and, and that has clearly turned out not to be true sometimes you have to inquire about it a little bit more because they don't come through the door scratching at that moment like an atopic dermatitis patient but a lot of patients with psoriasis have itching like you said on the body and the scalp any final words of wisdom from dr bradley glick <laughs> well first of all Thank you very much for, for having me here. And it's been great. And I really enjoyed the conversation. In terms of words of wisdom, firstly, we're so fortunate to be dermatologists. We really have the greatest field. Medical, surgery, cosmetic, it's fantastic. I particularly like the medical stuff. In terms of the words of wisdom, how fortunate we are to have incredible new products in the toolbox, unique mechanisms of action. A lot of the studies that have been done and the science behind these products have enabled us and patients and subjects in clinical trials have enabled us to understand these disease states uh, more clearly. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to have these therapies in my toolbox. I have a lot of choices for being able to take care of my patients. Well, that's great. You know, Brad, oh, hold on a second. In the studio here, I'm opening up the, the shades on my window there's a whole bunch of dermatologists picketing they have signs saying stop the long-winded questions i mean i got a whole group of them out here now i'm going to have to deal with this but i want to i want to i want to share with you you know so if if anybody's ever walking by uh, you know see us in the hallway at a, at a meeting and i wave hey brad and they overhear me saying how's fran drescher's mom <laughs> so what 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 people need to know is brad i've known him a long time he sent me a picture and he was with this woman and this woman had this you know this white poofy hair and the big big glasses that i'm used to seeing the jewish mothers wear at at an early bird special when i was down in you know as a resident in fort lauderdale and i i, I text him back i said are you with fran drescher's mom because she looked like that the woman that that's fran drescher's mom on the nanny and he goes <laughs> no that's my mother so now brad i how, how's your how's your mother doing i just say how's fran drescher's mom or he'll tell me right up front he'll text me hey fran drescher's mom says hello but one thing that's very special about fran drescher's mom uh is brad's mom is that she makes her matzo ball soft and we both love our matzo ball soft but i'm not going to ask you a question about matzo ball so we already know that answer brad how do you like your pizza do you like your pizza very thin crust, like a typical thin crust New York pizza? Or are you going to get your beard and mustache messy with that gooey Chicago deep dish pizza? What is your favorite? There's no question. I'm a Brooklyn boy. You ain't giving me that Chicago stuff. Sorry, everyone from Chicago. I like my, you know, somewhat thinner crust. I like my New York pizza. And it's the water in that sauce from the pizza in New York. So I like my New York pizza. And you know what? Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of it down in Florida. We don't have it out here either. And I don't have to ask you if you if your family says gravy or sauce, because you already answered that question. You said, <laughs> you said sauce. Now, Brad, I live out here close to California. And it's very difficult when I see them putting pineapple or, God forbid, tofu on their pizza. My, you know, we're from Brooklyn. Enough said. Thanks so much for being here today and talking to me. Always great. And I'll see you soon at a meeting. Good luck at the AAD. I know that you're going to be very helpful educationally and on the board level. Thanks a lot. 
It's an honor. It's a privilege. And I appreciate the opportunity. Everyone stay well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us. Winzora thanks you for joining this week's episode. To learn more about Winzora, visit www.winzora.com for the head-to-head trial and important safety information.